what's going on is very real. And in March, it really affected a lot of tenants. We're in the medical arena, so it's really not affecting our tenants that much. Um, some of our buildings have office space in them. Some of them have even some restaurants, and those are being affected more. But from our perspective, in March, we started talking to the tenants. I look at my tenants as the lifeblood of my building. They're my partners. I want them to do well. If they're not doing well, I'm going to work with them. They want to be in business. They're not trying to not pay me rent. They have an issue. And whether it's COVID or anything else, I want to work with them. This is the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities in future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns. Welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. I am your host, Trisha Talbot. As a healthcare real estate advisor to providers and investors, the best solutions occur when the two collaborate together as partners in delivering better patient care. Providers can deliver care to their patients when and where they need it, and investors realize the returns to build and manage facilities. We explore changes in medicine and wellness, the future of healthcare, and using real estate as a strategic and financial tool. Join me and my guest co-host, Kathleen Morgan, in this week's episode, which is the second part of the interview with Ted Barr, co-founder of Woodside Health based in Cleveland, Ohio, where we discuss the effects of COVID-19 on his properties and how he worked with his tenants during the shutdown period of the pandemic. Listen as he discusses his thoughts on how the changes in healthcare during the pandemic will change how different demographics receive certain healthcare services in the future. Last week in the first part of the interview, we learned what type of investments Woodside is attracted to and how they are easily able to invite physician investors into their acquisitions. I often see doctors that um, see the picture of, boy, I'm going to own my own building. They're good at, you know, setting a broken arm, but uh, they don't want to deal with the leaky toilet. They don't want to deal with, you know, the dead landscaping, the real estate tax increases, on and on and on. And um, their time is valuable. I often see that when they manage property, their effective costs are much higher than mine. Um, I almost always, after I buy buildings from doctor groups, lower the expenses and increase the quality of the service, both at the same time. If they want it as an investment, great, do it as an investment. But if they're a full-time doctor and then managing a building, is that really a good use of their time? Maybe, usually not, but usually it's not the skill set they have. And they get frustrated, so the roof bid comes in and they take it and go. They didn't define the specs of the roof, so they get the wrong roof put on. They didn't bid it out. So they paid too much. They weren't on site. So when decisions were being made at the last minute, they were the wrong decisions. Um, and they tend not to be the best owners. Well, I would argue that, that um, the skill set they do have is, is much more valuable than negotiating roof, uh, prices with roof vendors. <laughs> and Absolutely. if you have negotiations with another medical uh, group, you know, inevitably somehow they're connected, whether it's referrals or they went to medical school. 
and that creates a whole nother level of conflict. You know, it's like kids on the playground. You got to keep them separated, mm -hmm. keep everyone but happy. They're great in ownership because they can help lease a building. But if they're negotiating a lease with their, you know, friend and striving for, you know, maybe a higher rent, there, there's a conflict there. Yeah, we see it. We see it a lot. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, help, help. Ted, before we, before we move on to current events, in working with you, I, I'd like you just to kind of surmise what you look for, what type of investor you are. Like what I mean, like I would say that you're a multi-tenant medical office investor. You're not a single tenant buyer, things like that. But that's what I would say. How would you just describe yourself in general as to what you look for? Sure. I am multi-tenant. I don't do single tenant because to me, that's, that's a credit risk and I, I buy real estate. Um, so if I'm buying a multi-tenant building and one tenant goes, I'm still making my operating expenses, paying my debt service. Maybe my return on my money is off for those you know, quarters until I lease it up. But I'm a multi-tenant. Deal size is maybe 5 million on the low side. Sweet spot is probably 10 to 25 million for the right deal. We're now looking to go to 50 only because recently some bigger players have come to me. So historically, I was doing deals with my own money. Um, some of my friends would come in and we'd get capped out. Recently, some bigger players have started to come to me. So I'm now looking at bigger deals. But I want deals that will be around for a while, that are, are functionally solid, um, building and location, multi-tenant. I like the right practices. It's more a matter of um, if I buy well at the beginning, I'm not going to have as many problems. If I buy poorly at the beginning, I'm always going to be chasing a problem. Now, switching to current events, how has Woodside responded um, to the impact of COVID-19 with regard to your tenants and providers, potentially sure. asking for relief or help? What's going on is very real. And in March, it really affected a lot of tenants. We're in the medical arena, so it's really not affecting our tenants that much. Um, some of our buildings have office space in them. Some of them have even some restaurants and those are being affected more. But from our perspective, in March, we started talking to the tenants. I look at my tenants as the lifeblood of my building. They're my partners. I want them to do well. If they're not doing well, I'm gonna work with them. They want to be in business. They're not trying to not pay me rent. They have an issue. And whether it's COVID or anything else, I want to work with them. So in March, we assessed what was going on. We talked to the tenants. Some of them were cautious, paid rent. Others weren't sure. Some of the dentists got shut down early and couldn't pay at all. But they were still getting cash flow in from you know, delayed reimbursements, usually 30, 60, 90 day pay. So they, they were kind of doing well. But some of them you know, were pretty much shut down, you know, much longer, two, three, even four months. We're in multiple states. Um, some of the patient base was scared to come in. So it was canceling appointments. And that's very unfortunate because I think it affected the healthcare of a lot of people 
that should have been, you know, getting treatment and it's going to affect other things. So while this was going on, we were working with the tenants. We helped most of our tenants that weren't able on their own to get, you know, government assistance, BPP funds, help them with the paperwork, who to call, what to do. And then the ones that had problems, you know, we worked with them. We either, you know, gave deferral and catch up over time. A number of them, we just did an extension of the lease and then we, you know, wrote it off. Um, Our collections through, you know, COVID, even beginning in March to today, have been 96% to 100%. So we're we're doing well, but it's mostly realizing that when a tenant is hurting and it's not their fault, we're going to work with them. If a tenant, you know, isn't doing well and has nothing to do with COVID, you know, then usually we say, you know, let's part ways. I'm not going to chase you. Um, let me get the space back and lease it. You're not trying to have this happen. But when it's real, we're going to work with them. And we we did. And um, they came out strong. That's wonderful. Yeah, I think there was a lot of good faith effort on everyone's parts. And I, it's the same in the Arizona market with some of these restructurings, even with the dental practices, as you mentioned, that were closed for months on end. I think they're really stronger than ever. But yeah. it's been great to see the resilience of practices and owners. And the ones that were off a little bit, um, a lot of them were just so backed up with appointments. They extended hours. They did some other things. And they were catching up quickly. And, and you still have areas that are still you know, at, at risk. You still have communities that are going to red and purple that, you know, governors might shut down things. You still have communities where the populations are elderly and, you know, scared to come in. And we're all dealing with it as an industry. But most of the tenants have figured it out. They're making money again. Totally. And I think the practices you definitely see here, like in the Arizona market, just patients staying in their car till it's time for their appointment, just a few mm-hmm. little extra efforts. But I think that I think the results are incredible and really keeping people safe. So it's good to sure. say, you know, we, we've learned through it. We're helping doctors and things that they weren't even aware of different types of HVAC systems and filters, queuing the parking lot, like you're actually, you know, just describing um, some of our buildings with private direct entrances, standalone HVAC are being marketed to practices that are, you know, more sensitive to other buildings that are, you know, public areas, um, elderly in particular. What do you think the impact of the um, of the pandemic has on the future of healthcare? Looking in your crystal ball, what, how, what would you think? Well, um, I'm a little old school, so I, I think it affects the world, but um, a lot of healthcare is consumed by an older population and they're not as tech savvy. They also have multiple issues going on. And to call a single doctor to do something over the phone where they might really have an issue that involves six, seven, eight doctors is, tough to do. So all that's going on, telemedicine, how the younger generation uses healthcare, completely changing. 
The older generation, not so much, other than they're waiting in their car and then coming in. Um, they're still having issues. Yes, they can't get out of their you know, senior care facilities, but when they go to the doctor, they need to go to the doctor. Now, it used to be different. A lot of the elder population would actually schedule and they'd have you know, three doctor appointments in one day, all at once, and you know, some of that's a little tougher. But medicine is going to evolve like any industry. But unlike retail, where you know Amazon is affecting you know hard locations, I haven't figured out a way that Amazon can set a broken bone or do hip replacement surgery via the internet yet. Um, robotics aren't up to that standard. People are still going to people. People have emotional issues, cancer, other types of things that are very emotional. They need the touch of a doctor. They need to look into somebody's eye and they need to talk through what their issues are. The lower end stuff, the checkups, that will evolve in a different way. The higher mortalities, um, they need these hard locations. Right. Especially too, you know, having a baby, you know, Amazon can't deliver your baby for you either. You know, you need, you need a little bit of help with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they might put some things up on a screen, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, most people will want to go to a location and get assistance. And there's a lot of safety in it, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's that thing. It's like, you know, it, if it goes right, it's great. But if it doesn't, then, uh, then it goes horribly wrong quickly. Mm-hmm. And even if you do telemedicine and you go to the doctor and you have your phone and you say, here's this, here's this, and you you hook up different things and they take your blood pressure. Um, If there's anything significant, you still have to come in. So you see in a doctor. So those kinds of things were evolving already where they were going to nurse practitioners and physician's assistants and away from the doctor. That was already evolving in the industry. But things that really need to see a doctor Need to see a doctor. Before we head into the Q&A session of this interview, I want to take a moment to promote an offer. If you are a provider and you own your own real estate and ever wondered what your options are, I invite you to schedule a 20-minute strategy session with me to discuss the benefits of a sale leaseback transaction. If you have 10 years or more left to practice or you are a large practice, a sale leaseback provides you with the proceeds now to exit the real estate and reinvest into your practice or invest elsewhere. Please go to docproperties.com forward slash free dash consultation dash Trisha dash Talbot to schedule a call. The link will be in the show notes as well if you're driving or unable to write it down. Thank you. And now we'll return back to the interview. Well, Ted, we're going to move into the part of the interview where we get to know you a little bit, maybe uh, get a glimpse of, you know, your leadership style. So uh, what was your first job? Wow. I've had lots of first jobs. Um, My First job probably is, you know, when I was eight-ish, shoveling snow um, up from Cleveland. So shoveling neighbor's snow, raking leaves, did a lot of that for side money. Around 10, I started to fix bicycles um, in the neighborhood. That was a lot of fun. 
I'm 10 years old and I had, you know, a lot of spending money. So I, I would just, you know, fix bikes and, and do other, you know, mechanical kinds of things. Probably my first real working is uh, when I was 16, I started a window cleaning business all through the neighborhood, grew that, you know, substantially. Um, with that, I sold it when I graduated high school and that paid for my college. During that time period, I was able to buy my first property. I bought a single family home when I was 16. My father thought I was crazy. I still, I still remember um, I had a 10-speed bike and I had the lawnmower that I tied to the back of the seat and I rode over to cut the lawn. <laughs> um, and then out of school, my first, and I always wanted to get into real estate. My first job out of school is I started in banking. I was in a management training program in banking with the intent to go into commercial real estate. I got pulled out of the management training program and I became a special liaison for the board of directors for special projects and just had a blast doing some really fun stuff. And then, you know, went into real estate from there. Oh, that's a nice story. I love that. What would you be doing for a living if you were not a real estate investor? Well, I'm doing what I really like to do and always wanted to do. Um, if, if I wasn't doing this, um, I'd probably do it, but do it differently. In fact, it's really nice now as the company's gotten a little bit bigger that I don't have to do the things I don't want to do. A lot of HR things you know, kind of bother me when copiers break, bother me. I don't have to deal with any of that anymore. But if, if I wasn't doing this at all, I'd probably um, be a math teacher in middle school. Maybe I'd have gone into some of the heavy industry companies um, to invent things, mechanical, um, hydraulic. I like tinkering around. Do you still, uh, do you still repair your own car? I don't. I, I, um, time is a very, very precious commodity of mine. The way my wife says I fix things is I grab the checkbook. <laughs> she, she, <laughs> now so, some of the things I like to do, it, it, it really is just time. And with that time, I can do a number of things. And I'd rather spend it with, you know, friends, family, traveling. I like that. What or who are you reading or listening to right now for news, information, or inspiration? Well, we uh, just had the grandkids over. So I read um, Big Red Strawberry and Five Little Monkeys Jumping on the Bed. Separate from that, I was doing some yard work and I read on you know, creating uh, raised beds. So I built a number of raised beds in my backyard. Right now I'm reading and I always keep some books with me when I'm traveling. So I'm reading um, Crucial Conversations, great book. And I'm reading uh, Leaders Eat Last, which I'm also enjoying. And it's a great way when I'm on a plane and it's a little hard to bring out a computer that I can just sit back in the book and, and get some things done. You don't have to worry about charging your battery 
<laughs> yep. Other other than that, normally um, newspapers. I'll do Bloomberg. I'll do Wall Street Journal. To be fair, a lot's been going on in media over the last 30 days, mostly as it relates to political. And I don't want to get political, but in general, it's been a lot of negative energy. And I don't want the negative energy. Um, it was bringing me down. So I kind of took a hiatus from a lot of it. I still know at least the big parts of what's going on, but I don't need to be inundated with negative things constantly. And I feel better. I, hear you. <laughs> I think that's true. Yeah, we kind of turned off our TV in March and uh, it hasn't been back on. But keep, keep, in, keep informed on the big topics, but the little stuff and the bickering, that can, that can be somebody else's noise. What is one thing you do every day for healthy self-care? Spend time with wife, kids, friends. For myself, I walk every day, usually about 10 miles. And then on the weekends, I trail run. And it clears my head and uh, you know, makes me focus. But mostly for the relaxation, um, just other people and you know, staying close to the family. I, I get kind of pulled in a lot with work. And when I, you know, get together with my wife, um, I get grounded real quick when it's my turn to wash the dishes. <laughs> Jen, I didn't realize you had all these uh, domestic qualities, window washing, dishwashing. <laughs> Pretty impressive. I like that. Yeah. Well, in my house, I do most of the cooking, dishes, laundry. I don't do the cleaning of the house, but, you know. Very nice. I try man. to do a little bit. Some of those things can clear your mind too because you can't really focus on a lot of things when you're trying to do one of those well i know when i'm walking i can think and process but when i'm trail running and i'm going up hills and going over routes and you know streams and stuff i've got to stay really focused and when my mind is really focused a lot of the other stuff disappears i i also play chess and i know when i'm playing people that challenge me, the same kind of thing happens. I'm, I'm into the moment and I love when I'm in the moment because all that other stuff disappears. And there's so much in my life with so many different buildings and tenants and issues going on that I love silencing it for a little while. Do you watch Netflix, Ted? I watch very little TV. So no, I, I'll see it when I'm at one of my kids' house, but I don't. Well, there's a there's a show called The Queen's Gambit, and it's all about chess. This woman that um, obviously it's a fictional story, but uh, that came that is a phenomenal chess player. And I'd never it wasn't uh, something that I would typically watch, and but it is it's such a good show. And then you know it's centered around chess, and I mean things I never knew about chess. I, I thought was it was interesting, so you might enjoy it. Well, I, I think it's a great tool for young kids to develop their mind. Um, thinking, processing. If you start getting good, you're starting to think multiple moves in advance and it develops the brain and it develops parts of the brain different than others. Same as music. I, I think these activities would be a lot better for kids than just video games. Well, and recognizing patterns and, you know, you always had, so one of the things that I took from it is, you know, the, the being able to recognize patterns and then also, um, you know, you have to be prepared to go on offense or defense and, you know, 
depending on what your opponent does. And sometimes your opponent does what you predict them to do, but oftentimes they don't. And then how do you respond? So I was like, oh, this is, this is interesting. It's any strategy game. And you're, you're thinking of what's my end result. So in chess, you might be sending pieces in, in a certain direction to attack a part of the board, multiple pieces, and you know how you're doing it. And it's more a matter of a deeper thinking. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's great training for kids. Well, here's my, my last question for you. Are leaders born or are they trained? Well, I think um, there's different kind of leadership. Inherently, I think your best leaders are born. I see it a lot with young kids. We're in groups. Somebody will just kind of jump out as the one leading. And it could be leading in a friendly manner or an aggressive manner, but there's different kinds of leaders. I think of your best companies, you can train and you can get a lot better. So if you're born with the skills, you can develop them. If you're not born with those skills, you can still be a leader and be trained and get better. So I think it's a little of both. I think your best leaders had experience in their life and they had enough common sense to learn from it and develop. Um, but they took some innate abilities because you know it could be charismatic or it could be the, their own skill set, but they developed it and they had people helping them and they made mistakes, learned from them. So I believe your best leaders learn and grow, um, but certain innate abilities are with you when you're born. So to end, t Ted, is there anything that we, anything about a property and, or an opportunity that Woodside Health might be interested in that we didn't cover? I think you, you did a pretty good job, but did we miss anything that you might wanna express? I'm interested in seeing all opportunities. Unlike per se a REIT, where things are pretty specific in a tight box, I'm open to anything. Now there are some deal sizes that are just too small for me to make sense. I still have to hire people to do different things. So, you know, that doesn't make sense, but I'm always looking for opportunities, working with partners. Um, we've been growing our business and we're now doing third-party management for others, we've created a relationship with some tenants and we're buying into markets and we're looking for you know, a lot of vacancy because they wanna come into those markets. So we're always looking to grow and evolve and you know, what we're doing today is different than yesterday and it'll be different tomorrow. So I would just say as you, you know, see different opportunities, multi-tenant medical deals, say over $7 million, you know, keep me in mind. The more hair on them, as we say in the industry, um, the better, because if they're clean, they're going to somebody else. But when you have a deal that for whatever reason, other people are saying, if, if you did this, if that happened, I'll buy them. If you can't fix the if, please call me. I'll, I'll, I'll still buy it. <laughs> the quote unquote, if I like that. Well, thank you, Ted. I appreciate your time. And thank you, Kathleen. You've been a wonderful co-host. Fun doing this. My first podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
but not the last, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm on the circuit now. Yeah, Ted. exactly. We should have taken it on the road. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Ted. Thank you both so much. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to your podcast and share the podcast with others. Previous episodes are available on the podcast website, providerspropertiesandperformance.com, where you can also sign up for the podcast weekly newsletter. As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.